Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today began his career as a captain in the United States Army, where he held both strategic and tactical roles. He has served as the president and chief operating officer of Weed Maps and the leading tech company serving the, the cannabis industry today. And prior to that, he worked at Twitter, where he was a member of the leadership team responsible for scaling the company's revenue operations. He holds a BS in economics from the United States Military Academy, West Point, which I won't hold against him, and an MBA from Columbia Business School. He's now the chief operating officer at PAX. This is Stephen Jung. Thank you so much, sir, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, Montel, for having me. Absolutely, my friend. I, I, I made a little joke, but, you know, go Navy. Uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we're mortal enemies, but here we I are. are. There you go. Yeah, we're, we're enemies and, and comrades in arms. So, you know, yeah. how long did you serve in the Army, sir? Uh, so after West Point, I graduated and did five years. Okay. You did your five years and got out. And what yeah. did you what did you take on as a job after you got out of service to begin with? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think my career overall, uh, I'm an operator by trade. But if I had to look back and, and describe my career in one word, I guess the word would be confused. Uh, yeah. I started off in management consulting um, where actually I did operational turnaround analysis. And then after that, I actually moved on uh, into the finance world, uh, which is um, a part of the reason why I ended up going to Columbia for business school. And, uh, you know, I ended up being in a place where the work was great. It was incredibly stimulating. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't feel like it was, it was something that I was passionate about. And so I took a step back and, you know, I found myself into doing some startups um, and being really, um, really enamored with the idea of doing that full time. And and I got lucky enough to join Twitter uh, in the earliest days. And uh, and then from there, I kind of stayed in the tech sphere for a bit uh, until I ended up at Weed Maps. And obviously, that was uh, an incredible ride. Uh, and so... What year was this? Give me an idea of years. What were, we, what were we talking? When did you graduate from the academy? Yeah, I graduated in 2000. And 2000. so uh, after that, I uh, you know was uh, stationed overseas. I was in Korea at the time, uh, up okay. on the, the DMZ between North and South Korea. And, um, you know, after I did a couple, uh, a couple other jobs uh, that actually ended up with a, a strategic role, um, uh, I ended up separating from the Army and then, uh, and then moved into the management consulting role in 2006 and then did uh, that up until I went to business school and then did finance through, call it 2010, 2011. And, uh, and then I moved into tech after that. So Weed Maps I joined back in 2017. Uh, which is obviously an exciting time and a very fascinating time for the industry, uh, moving into Prop 64, for example, here in California. And, uh, and so I think, um, you know, it, uh, it was a great experience for me, a great introduction into the cannabis industry at large. And now I find myself lucky enough to be here at PAX. Well, you know, let's back up a little bit because that transition from, you know, in the tech world to cannabis is a pretty extreme kind of a transition. I mean, especially with the military background. And I think like people like to understand, I mean, what, what was your first experience with or when did you start thinking about, did you start thinking about cannabis while you were going to grad school or was cannabis even on your radar? No, it wasn't. And yeah, I like to say that I'm, I'm one of these people that I think really represents two things. First, uh, I think I'm lucky enough for cannabis as an industry to have found me. And so I consider myself blessed in that regard. But then at the same time, uh, I'm also, I think, a good example of how minds can change, right? And I think one of the things that we'll certainly get into when we're talking about the topic of cannabis 
is some of the, the mainstream perceptions and some of the stigma that's still tied to the concept or that, that topic that I think we're going to have to overcome that is changing all the time. Uh, but I think there's still some work to do there. And so I, I really, there's, a, there's a not just some work, there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. Yes. Remember, we have a president of the United States who still considers cannabis a fucking gateway drug. Excuse my mouth. Yeah. And, and a and a vice president who arrested more people in her tenure as you know attorney general in California than any of the the, uh, the attorney generals before her. So we do have a lot of education going on. And, and even looking at the two of us, which is really very interesting, because you're one of the second people, second military guys that I've had on you know, this podcast um, to talk about their experiences. But, you know, I mean, take a look at the military right now. And still, I think, uh, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this General Milley has not said anything about this. But before him, you know, I think it was the former, not Surgeon General of the military, who basically banned CBD from military use, which is really ignorant. Um, considering the fact that, you know, I mean, it it is such an important tool, I think, in the arsenal of medications that a lot of our veterans could use today, even when we're talking about the non-psychotropic end. And, 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 you know, I've had many, I, 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 you would would blow you away the number of conversations I've had with flag rank officers who are so uninformed and so ignorant about the topic caught up in, you know, draconian, information that was given to them when they were, you know, privates or PFCs in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah, there's a lot of education. I mean, to cut you off of that, but a lot of education still needs to be done. And I think that's one of the, the biggest pitfalls of this industry right now, to be absolutely honest with you. We do a lot of work in the B2B world, but we do a really piss poor job in the B2C world. You know, but we, 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 we will inform the public about our products, but we don't inform the public as to why the product's important. We'll get into that a little bit more in depth. I want to talk and pick your brain a little bit about how we can, we can change that paradigm because I think, um, especially right now, I mean, uh, we're living in a time when the only thing that's uh, consistent between the right and the left is cannabis. Yeah. You know, when they raided the, when they, you know, stormed the Capitol, there was a lot of cannabis being smoked that day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's a, you're right. There is a ton of work that needs to be done there. And, you know, I, I tend to view it as a ton of opportunity. Um, I do think that there's just some basic dialogue that needs to be had. Right. And again, I think if I, if I turn back to my own experience, when I first came face to face with this concept of joining the cannabis industry, I had no frame of reference. I, I personally did not, I didn't consume growing up. I actually did not consume while I was in service. Um, I didn't come into contact with it until after service and, you know, it was through some friends and I have trouble sleeping. I, I generally struggle with sleep. And so in this case, um, it was given to me as a potential uh, aid to sleep, which um, which actually was very effective from that perspective. And so I, um, I think I, I was I saw it for its utility in that way. But then this concept of moving into it to make it my full time job and something where my career was then going to be staked to it. Um, I actually had to ask some questions. And what's interesting is how little I knew about the industry, how little I knew about the history of it, and obviously the policies and the politics that are also tied to to, to cannabis uh, as a concept. And so it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out um, that, you know, what you have here is a, a, a secular growth industry and a, a product that at the end of the day, mainstream people are eventually going to adopt, right? Um, and I think, I think there's a lot of conversation, to your point, at the consumer level, and also targeted conversations with leaders 
right? Whether we're talking about in the military world or in the political world, et cetera. Um, you know, and I think to myself, it was interesting, but at a certain point, I took a step back and I realized I am a child of the D.A.R.E. generation, right? The Just Say No to Drugs generation. And uh, it's interesting that you tell yourself, well, these are messages and things that I've come into contact with, but at the end of the day, I'm my own person. But there is an impact there, right? There is a subplot and there is a, a context that you carry with you going forward. And so I actually took a step back and I, I had to get past that. Um, and I was able to pretty quickly, but but it just took a little bit of work. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that we're able to have those conversations with folks and change their minds. I've talked to a lot of veterans now who were very much the same way. When they were in service, they were very anti-cannabis uh, because they just considered it all as as one one big pot of, uh, of drugs and substances yeah. that you're not supposed to use. But that coming out of the military now, especially, again, similar to my path, they found utility for it. It helped them with specific issues that they had. And they found that it was obviously a natural alternative, right, to the things that they were otherwise being prescribed. And, and, so- and I, think, I think also, like, I think a lot of guys in the military, including myself, I think, it, unfortunately, we in the military, we become so... I don't know what to call it, um, wrote in what we think. You know, we have somebody gives us an order and says, this is the truth. We just have to believe it and move on. When they say, you know, take that step off the cliff, you take the step off the cliff. But when you're a civilian, I don't got to fall 20 stories. Wait, excuse me a second. I'm not stepping off a cliff. Let me look over that cliff first and see what's going on. Mm. It's the idea of being able to take a look for yourself and recognize that, wait a minute, maybe I've been fed a bunch of bullshit, excuse my mouth. But, you know, when it comes to the cannabis and cannabis, I think most guys in the military who look at it that way, in the, the dare way, are following that rote thing about, you know, how to, to, to march. I mean, but when you stop marching for a second and realize that I don't have to walk in step with everybody else, because if I do walk in step with everybody else going across that bridge, that bridge may fall down. You slow down for a second. I can walk at my own beat. When I'm walking at my own beat, now all of a sudden my legs don't feel as bad. Hmm. Maybe I should just start to think about things on my own for a second. Then when you start thinking about things on your own, you start to realize that you've been fed a line of crap, especially when it comes to, you know, the history of cannabis, why cannabis has been made illegal and and what we went through in the last century. And then when we start to realize, I'm sure you have, and you you probably figured out when you were at WeMaps is the fact that, excuse me, this is a government that also talks out of both sides of his mouth. I mean, we got a government that pursued, researching cannabis in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, funding it in places like Israel and other places around the world, giving itself a patent in 2001, writing in its own abstract all the efficacious reasons why they think that cannabinoids are important to human life, but then turn around and saying that has no medical efficacy. Makes me question that same order of, do I shoot this guy or not? So, I mean, it's kind of a... Uh, I think when a lot of guys finally get out, they think, well, maybe I can just think a little bit for myself. I don't have to be at the chow hall at 11 o'clock. I can eat lunch at 1130. Well, when they start thinking like that, that I can think on my own, then they start doing a little research and realizing, hmm, have I ever fed a bunch of crap here? Mm. And I don't know. I, I, that's 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 right. I kind of I, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, talking on veterans issues with a lot of vets, especially when it comes to cannabis and and. You know, a lot of them say, you know, it wasn't until I woke up or it wasn't, I forget the word woke because I hate that term, but it wasn't until I started reading on my own and realizing that, wait a minute, everything they were telling me is not necessarily true. Just the same way as everything they tell me in the military, period, isn't necessarily true. 
So now let me think on my own and figure it out. And once they figure it out, then you, you actually, you're actually right. Once they find out that there's utility in this in various ways, not just in a psychotropic way, but there's utility in this in the information that we've already discerned for the last 50 years. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I don't mean to, 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 to go off on here or digress, but I mean, you know, in the last year alone, there have been over 3,500. There's more peer-reviewed studies and research documents that have been published in the last year on cannabis than on any other pharmaceutical in the world. Mm. Now, we got to think about this for a second. And, and, and at the same time that that's happened, you got all these politicians saying, well, there's something that there's more research done and we can understand. Shut the, you know what? Excuse me, research has been done. There's 30,000 peer-reviewed documents out there. There's more research on cannabis than there is on alcohol. Yeah. But we act like we still don't know where, you know, A's A to B. And then we do know A to B. So, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, no, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think this is where, um, yeah, again, going back to this concept of hope, General James Mattis, right? I think he's one of the one of the biggest names in terms of the military leadership community who has proactively and, and actively come out to say cannabis is something that should be legalized, especially from the perspective of VA treatment and giving it as a natural alternative to our service members who are now either still in service or coming out of service. Um, and, you know, again, I think we may touch on this later, but it really is a question of access. I know you've done a lot of work when it comes to supporting legislation and change, right? Uh, as far as veteran access is concerned when it comes to cannabis as well. Thank you for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think I think it's on you and it's on me to go out and really help with pushing this message, pushing the dialogue in order to engage, engage people into that conversation. And hopefully we start to get some change. Right. Obviously, there's um, there's it's a very complex and, and infinite number of pieces that need to move in the right place in order to make that change happen. But I think it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think some of it will happen when a lot of the generation before us start to, you know, go away. I'm so sorry because you know, we we have people who are so deep entrenched in their their point of view that it's convincing is going to be tough for some of them. Um, but for others, I've seen some flag rank officers who have changed their mind and actually have agreed. As a matter of fact, sitting on my board for my uh, uh, my own cannabis company, I have a flag rank mm-hmm. officer, the former head of the CIA, Jim Woolsey who's a board member of my uh, company because they recognize that, you know, what they were taught isn't necessarily true, but I mean, I'll go back to this. So you're sitting there, you're at Twitter, which is a high tech company. And then somebody says, well, we'd love to bring you on the Wii maps. Did your brain not go? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually I left Twitter to go to another smaller startup, uh, a Y Combinator startup. And uh, I was there, been there for a few years Everything was going great. And yeah, I got the message, you know, and I think in the tech industry, um, headhunters reach out all the time, right? Calling from all the usual suspects, the Googles, the Amazons, et cetera. And uh, for the most part, that's not really what I was looking for. Um, but then when WeMaps uh, came knocking, it, it kind of jumps out of your inbox. And so, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I had to look. I was, I was too curious to look. And so my, my first reaction was exactly what you said. Uh, and, and I actually said to myself, I don't think so. Right. But, but it was interesting because I, I did have to take a step back. I, I like to pride myself on being a, a thoughtful kind of guy. And, uh, and I think, you know, what I realized was my reaction was very visceral. It was a, a knee jerk reaction where I didn't know anything about it, but that was my first response. No. Now, had you already at that point in time, had you been using it for sleep or you hadn't been using it for sleep? I hadn't really been using it for sleep, right? Someone gave it to me once and I thought it worked, but at the same time, 
Um, again, just from a, a sheer question of access, right? I didn't, I didn't go and procure it myself. I didn't know who to go to. And so I was too yeah. lazy to go figure it out. <laughs> so yeah. I just kind of let it be where it was. And, uh, and so, you know, I think, um, I, I, again, I took a step back and I just thought about, well, you know, why did I reject that out of hand? I actually don't know anything about this, right? So that's when I went down the path of actually doing some homework. And, uh, and that's when I quickly figured out, oh, okay, you know, there, there's actually a lot of good here. And I think when we're talking about the opportunity to work somewhere where you get to build a company, do something great from a business perspective, but also, right, one of the big things that I've, I've really been seeking ever since I left the military was to, to work somewhere where I get to make the world a little bit of a better place, where I get to be a part of something that's bigger than just me. And, and I think cannabis as an industry is, is that in, in many, many respects, right? And so, um, so again, I eventually got comfortable with that idea and uh, got lucky enough to, uh, to jump on board. And Weed Maps is, is, you know, the, the invention of Weed Maps was uh, transformative worldwide. I mean, honestly, I think that literally put cannabis on the map, on the map so to speak. But, I mean, it certainly did. And, and people were immediately jumped aboard Weed Maps to say, you know, this is something I want to be, you know, utilize as a, as a service. And I congratulate you for all the work that you did in moving that company to where it is today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, I think the most exciting part of all that was also just engaging with other major partners and other players in the industry, right? Um, and, and really hoping that by by going public on the NASDAQ, what we were going to do is pave a path for others to be able to do the same. And so I think, um, you know, it was it's a first step. Again, like we're talking about, there's a lot of progress that still needs to be made. But we managed to be able to take that one first step towards going public on on the NASDAQ. And, uh, and so that was, um, that was definitely an achievement. But again, it, it really, to me, reflected what is the, the opportunity and all the hard work of an industry at large, as opposed to just one group of people. Yeah, I mean, didn't you find it kind of weird? I mean, the fact that you, you're in a company that doesn't touch the plant, so therefore you're allowed to kind of be open. But at the same time, they don't want to talk about you because you're open. If they talk about you, then you get dropped off of this website, that website, the news won't talk about you it was kind of tough to be able to, to literally get any advertising, right? But you got advertising. So how, mm-hmm. let's talk about a little bit of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a strange position to be in, right? And I think we, uh, we had to be very careful in balancing all of that. And at the end of the day, right, we are part of the industry, full stop. And, and I think we're very committed to supporting legislative change. We're, supported, we're supportive of issuing of licenses and regulation and opening of markets and states. Um, and, and again, I think all the work we did was certainly focused on expanding access, right. To everybody who needs it. Um, and, and again, I think to your point, you know, what did that look like in terms of that, that battle when it comes to trying to balance, strike that balance? Um, you know, again, I think, um, basic financial services, for example, right. Working with banks and being able to secure advertising platforms and partners that to anybody else, any other company, um, they'd be more than happy to, to take that money. And, and I would say this, I mean, you know, realistically, most of the platforms, they do want to take it. Most of the banks do want to work with all companies in the industry. You know, for a lot of them, of course, what they're tripped up by is the compliance issues that they run into. And, and I think that, again, takes us right back to a question of how do we get to a place where we can see some real legislative change? Uh, and so obviously things like the SAFE Act, right, MORE Act, and obviously anything that looks like descheduling um, of cannabis from the CSA, I think that all, all right, any form of that or if all of it uh, occurs, then again, it's going to solve a lot of those problems. But um, but yeah, it, w- it was a very tenuous like situation to be in. Uh, I think we navigated it incredibly well. 
Um, but, um, but again, I'd say uh, it was something that we had to be very careful about. So again, a very successful career at WeMaps. And um, then you decided to transition over and get into the other part of this industry, which is PACs, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, at, at, after stepping down and, and uh, taking some time off after we went public, um, you know, I, I was asking myself, where to next? And uh, ultimately, it was a question of, do I go outside of cannabis, right? And ultimately, that would just go back to, uh, to tech um, at large, or do I stay in cannabis, right? And, you know, when I thought about it, I actually took a, a tour. I took some time and I toured around the country, uh, going to different markets, right? Missouri, Oklahoma, Colorado, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, you name it. And, um, and I just spent time looking at the industry for myself, right? Because I'd spent the last several years really being inside the four walls of the building and focused on what we were trying to do at a company, at the company there. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to go out and see the market for myself. And, you know, the thing I could tell you is um, as an industry, there's still so much innovation and so much opportunity in terms of uh, what we can do. And so, um, you know, I came back from that and I realized definitely, definitely still very interested in just staying in the industry. But then the question became, but, but what would I do? Um, and, you know, I think there's some options on the table. And uh, among those, one of them that, that came up was, was this one, PAX. And so, you know, when I took a step back and started thinking about it, obviously, PAX is a leading national brand. Uh, it's really the only national brand and ultimately an international brand as well. And that's owing to the devices that they have. Um, that brand is so strong because of the history of all the technology and innovation that goes into creating the products that we have, which are premium, uh, you know, cannabis experiences at the end of the day. And so um, in the end, I, I, I looked at it and, you know, strategically for me, the opportunity going forward for the company, the brand itself was to actually move directly into touching the plant and figuring out a way to have products uh, that we would put into our devices so that people can enjoy and, uh, you know, luckily, right time, right place, the company and the leadership at the company was on the same page in terms of making that strategic decision, that choice and that change. And, uh, and so I decided to come aboard and, and that's what we're getting ready to do now. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Well, yeah, and I think that that was a perfect, you know, symbiotic relationship between tech and, you know, this industry. Because, you know, PAX has been the leader when it comes to technology and especially technology of technological advances in delivery systems for cannabis. Um, and so I think that gave you probably a place to play with, you know, your expertise in both, you know, the tech side and also the the management of a, an asset like uh, cannabis itself. So, you know, how has that been going for you? Now, I know you guys have some new initiatives that you're getting ready to launch, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah, Pax is um, is launching a, a solventless fresh pressed live rosin product that uh, also mixes in natural diamonds. Um, and we're, we're incredibly excited about it because it really upholds this mandate that we have for ourselves to deliver a really clean and full flower cannabis experience. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of innovation that we've put into it that really allows us to produce an incredibly high quality and potent product at an unmatched price. And, um, you know, I think for consumers now that are going to come into contact with what we're offering, uh, it's going to be 11 small batch strains. That is a mix of indica, sativa hybrid and a CBD, one CBD offering as well. Um, that includes some timeless consumer favorites like Blue Dream, Jack Herrera, Pineapple Express, but also some contemporary creative strains uh, like Tahoe Rose and Wi-Fi Mints. Um, and uh, these pods that we're going to release now, um, they are compatible with our award-winning era line of devices, the Era Life and the Era Pro. Uh, and really, you know, it was an obvious step for us at the end of the day because it's giving consumers what they they're asking for. And so um, the uh, the product itself is going to be available here across California first. And uh, our, our focus beyond that then is going to be to scale throughout the rest of the year. Now, when you scale throughout the rest of the year, if you try to scale in those states, do you, are you, you're still limited to having to produce your products per state, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, you know, for those unfamiliar, the regulatory structure of the industry is such that you have to go into each market, each state, for example, and um, and actually uh, come in line with their compliance program, right? And you can't go across state state lines with the product itself. And so I think part of that's gonna come down to the innovation that we're bringing to the table. And again, I think at the core of, of PAX as a company, um, innovation is really in our DNA. And so part of that is how we think about things like the operation, the production, the manufacturing, um, as well as the formulation, right? And so I think um, we're going to take all that proprietary work and what we've invested into and we'll move into different states. The thing that I think is really fascinating about the industry right now is that it also happens to be at a place where the conditions are just right for, for I think, this type of new approach, right? Where rather than having to go the traditional version of what we historically call full vertical integration, um, I think there's actually a new version of the integration where it's actually taking certain parts of the value chain into in-house uh, and then actually producing products again at this consistency, uh, a level of consistency and high quality. And, and that's what I think we actually have um, a really great opportunity to do. Uh, and so I think we have a strategy around how we think about the different markets, where we're going to go. Um, but ultimately, right, uh, it really has to come down to a question of the consumers there. Are they looking for this product? I think the answer, broadly speaking, is yes. Um, live rosin. I don't know. Have you have you experienced live rosin? That's oh, of course. Yep. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, again, I think, like I said, it's, it's what consumers are asking for. Right. It's going in this direction of a full cannabinoid profile, full terpene experience when it comes to the product itself. Um, and again, I think our platform, right, the devices that we have deliver that experience in an unmatched way. Um, and so I think what's exciting for us is, is really being able to answer that call of the consumer need and then bring this product to them. So um, that's that's going to be our focus. Now, I think, I think that the only, the only pushback, and I'm, I'm not pushing back, I'm just saying, but the only yeah. thing that we really need to do is to educate the consumer. Because like you just said, well, the consumer will not ask for it. Well, the, the, you know, the, the um, connoisseur who reads and pays attention to what's going on in the industry, they know, they'll look for it. But the average consumer might not. I mean, I know people who live in Maryland, people who live in New Jersey, people who live in Massachusetts who 
having gone above just flour by itself and trying yeah. to grind it themselves at home, not even knowing that that can already be solved by you through packs. They need to understand the viability of the product. They don't even understand when you say, you know, solventless rosin, they go, uh, how do they do that? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, again, I think it's one thing about this industry that we really need to do is one, one, stop fighting with each other, but two, start focusing on getting the information to the consumer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think you're absolutely right. If you look at the data, the good news is um, you can start to see it in pockets, depending on which market you're looking at. They are naturally moving towards live rosin types of products. And, you know, for us, right, we like to talk about this chemical free full flower experience. And really what we mean by that is um, our live rosin. Right. And, and for live rosins in general, the way that you, you think about it is it starts with uh, the highest grade type of cannabis flower that you can get. And what we do is we work with leading local farms. And at the at the height of harvest, right, you take the flower and you immediately flash freeze it. And once you flash freeze that, you put it through an extraction process that involves nothing more than ice, water, pressure, and agitation. Um, and, and so in other words, for us, the way that we're extracting the, the THC to go into our products is, is a process that doesn't involve any harsh chemicals, right? And, and ultimately what that does is it allows all the naturally occurring cannabinoids and terpenes to come out when you actually experience it and consume it. Um, you know, and, and again, I think this is this concept of 100% cannabis, nothing added, nothing removed. And so I think by doing that, that's how we're able to deliver this perfectly balanced and full flower experience overall. Um, for myself, when I first tried Live Rosin, I really wasn't sure what it is either. I've obviously heard about it from other folks that are connoisseurs, like you're saying. Uh, and, and once I did try it, it's interesting. I, I really had trouble going back to Bislet at that point, right? Um, they're just very, very different products. Right. Absolutely. And I think you know, more and more companies like yours that start to promote, people will start to read what the promotion's about. Then they'll start to educate themselves, being an informed consumer and go in and ask for the product. You know, and 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 you know, just from that standpoint, I mean, again, thinking about it from you know crossing state lines, I think that would be the easiest thing for you to be able to do is if you were able to produce in one location and then be able to, you know, I mean, we know that uh, areas in California where there's the breadbasket of America where we have some of the best, you know, farming ability. So you could grow some of the best cannabis there and then be able to produce it and actually send it out across the country. How long do you think it's going to be before the nation catches up or the federal government finally catches up? Because I, I, I see, you know, while we are divided, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, for a while I was like, you know, this is going to happen in the next couple of years. But now I feel like we've just given both sides something else to fight about. And they're going to dig in just to fight about it, just because, rather than using common sense and moving ahead, which is going to leave a lot of consumers in the black market or gray market area, rather than looking for something that legitimately. And while we do this, I will tell you, I am a complete disclosure, am a board member and involved in two international companies, one out of Colombia and mm -hmm. one out of South Africa that are about to both of them, I think and then this next year could be huge years for them. And, you know, most Americans and most of our companies here in the United States forget about the fact that we think that we're the biggest consumers of cannabis in the world. And we're not, mm -hmm. there's only 350 million of us who live here. And 
you know, the rest of the world's got seven point something billion people in it. And lots of those people in this world are consuming cannabis now, though they're trying to hide the way we did in the 70s and the 80s. They're consuming now. So within the next year or so, you're going to find that, you know, our competition won't be coming from within the 50 states. It's going to be coming from without. And, you know, we got the DEA allowing, uh, you know, this lets to be imported now, not THC, but CBD and some of the other monocannabinoids. So, you know, um, how long do you think it'll be before we somebody wakes up here? I, I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, you know, I think what's interesting this year, of course, we're going into midterm elections, right? And so I think there's um, there's another another angle that that I guess is the the optimistic view, which is um, as you're looking at the different platforms that uh, that politicians could could cover. I think the one, like you said, the one that's the the tie that binds everybody is cannabis, right? So almost seventy percent national approval for legalization at large. Um, I think as you look at different markets. The math will tell you that cannabis as an industry is a massive opportunity in terms of both just general economic growth as well as creation of jobs. And so, um, you know, and then, of course, you get back to the heart of the matter, which is access for people who could use it. Right. Um, I do think that in the end, I'm hoping that these conversations are going to end up at a place where everyone starts to see that this is a very obvious choice to move forward and just uh, to legalize. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I honestly don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I think we're obviously very close to pacing this, passing the SAFE Act at the end of last year. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But uh, but again, I, I do think each time, right, it is perhaps a two steps forward, one step back. Uh, and then sometimes maybe one step forward, two steps back. But but that's it. Ultimately, I do think we're generally trending in the right direction. But but it is it is taking time. It's a tough one, I got to tell you, man. So, um, you know, look, tell me a little bit about your PAX's new veteran initiative. This is very near and dear to both of our hearts. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, again, of course, for veterans, uh, you and myself uh, being veterans, I think um, we certainly want to take care of those in the community, uh, those that have actually sacrificed quite a bit um, and uh, and really are, are focusing on protecting the nation and obviously protecting our freedoms. And, uh, and so when it comes to their treatment, right? Because a lot of veterans do have chronic conditions that they're uh, that they're suffering from, and so being able to give them the alternative of using cannabis uh, to to treat those ailments that they have is um, is a critical outcome that we're seeking. And um, you know, one of the things that we we really focus on now is what we can use our platform for in order to honor all of those veterans uh, that are out there. And so we've worked with some really great organizations. One of them is Weed for Warriors, um, which is a leading compassion organization that supports holistic rehab for veterans using community-based projects. And so um, that's one pro program that we actually are closely tied to that we came up with an initiative recently over Veterans Day, uh, where we actually took their brand and actual pod itself, and uh, we're able to partner with some other brands that are on the PAX platform to help them release their product out into the markets. And by doing so, that was actually a way for them to, to raise funds uh, for, for their core program itself for rehab of vets. Um, but we're also working with a couple other really great organizations like the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America organization, which is a national org that's fighting to generally improve all the lives of post 9-11 vets. Um, and then last but not least, also going across border and working with Wounded Warriors Canada. Um, where we're, we're doing very similar initiatives as well. And I think Wounded Warriors Canada is really fascinating because um, they're actually a national mental health service provider. Uh, and that's owing to the fact that, you know, they work with 
um, utilization of clinical best practices and evidence-based care to create an environment for, for veterans, right, in which they can, again, continue to recover and grow. Uh, and so to us, I think this is really just the beginning, but, um, but we, we're really thinking through again, how can we continue to give back to the veteran community? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work with Paul Reichoff, myself, who founded the you know Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans uh, organization, and um, I'm working with him right now. And um, it's good. I'm glad you guys are doing that. Now, you know, um, what do you, we we're almost out of time. So, I mean, what, what's 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 coming up, man? What what do you see? You know, what would you like to see change in this industry? You actually touched on one of those things, which is um, that it, it's really about working together at this point, right? And I think, I think as an industry coming together and focusing on growing the pie, I think is is really the one of the most important things that we can do. Um, I think historically it's been a very incredibly competitive space, and as such, it tends to follow the crab basket approach to things, yep. right? Where everybody's grabbing each other and pulling each other down. Um, but I think realistically. Right. Something that looks like cooperative competition is really going to be what paves the way for uh, for the next decade of growth. And, um, you know, I think uh, I've started to see some signs of that, which I, which I think is really important. Uh, but at the same time, I, I continue to always uh, lobby to other partners and other players in the industry on how can we work together? Because by doing so, I think it's, it's another way that we can also um, help push that that ultimate outcome that we're looking for to to get the legalization and the the broad mainstream adoption that we need um, to truly like realize the full potential of, of cannabis as an industry. So that's that's definitely one big area there. And again, I, I think you know, like you and I were talking about the consumer education piece of understanding um, the products themselves, really understanding uh, the cleanliness behind the products and the purity of them as well. Again, for packs, it's a, it's a core part of a brand and something that we're really, really committed to. Um, you know, and again, I think the reason why we, we are moving forward with, with creating this product that we talked about, the fresh pressed live rosin with diamonds, um, is because consumers, that's what they were looking for from, from us. And we knew that taking the innovation that we have, we were able to deliver that in a disruptive way because we have, again, our, our own proprietary way of formulating and the extraction process behind it. And by doing so, um, we can do it very highly efficiently, um, which is one reason, again, why we're able to offer it at that price that's, that's really unmatched in the market. Um, and I'd say specifically too, one thing I, I didn't mention earlier was we up until now have only had a half gram format in the pods that we offer, but uh, we went through a, an entire process of re-architecting the hardware and actually now have a new and improved one gram format as well. And as you know, right, the, the market itself is moving towards one gram formats at large, depending on which market you look at. It's 70, 30 in favor of one gram, all the way up to even 90, 10 in other markets. And right. so it's something that we're super excited about. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, for us, delivering this new architecture it uses a ceramic core. So, again, back to this concept of cleanliness and purity of the experience itself. Um, again, with the innovative, disruptive production process that we have behind it. Uh, that all together, when we deliver with the device that we have, with all the patents and all the technology that we've developed around low heating device uh, technology, where it allows the, the product to heat, but actually never burn or combust. And by doing okay. so, right, it enhances the flavor profile that you're experiencing. It really brings out the complexity and all the cannabinoid and terpene profile, as well as preventing any harmful toxins or byproducts that otherwise would come through. Uh, through other traditional means of consuming. Wow. And so so these are things that we're really focused on as well. Again, to your point, really hoping to educate consumers and, and help them make their choices. 
Well, I got to tell you, my friend, I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today. As we brought up, people out there would love to hear more and more and more about you and about what you're doing. So you always have a home here whenever you want, even though you went to West Point. No, <laughs> no you always have a home here whenever you want. And um, if there's anything I can do, uh, you know, to help uh, move your initiatives forward, please let me know. Absolutely. Thank you, Montel. It was a real pleasure. No, sir. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this edition. Let's be blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.